Well, good morning, everyone. It is good to see each and every one of you here, and we thank God for the privilege of being able to be with you. I'm Pastor Buford Griffith, and um, recently retired from the Southwestern Union, uh, having served there for the past 22 years, and the last 10 serving as Executive Secretary for the Southwestern Union, and uh, officially retired October 1 of uh, last year. So we're trying to get used to that, you know. And somebody asked me, he said, well, how is, how is retirement? And I said, well, the good thing about it is I don't have to get up and, and every morning go to the office. <laughs> but ministry is, is, is not what we do. Ministry is what we are. And we still are, are excited when we are, have opportunity to serve, continue to serve God's, God's people. Um, the last time that we were here at this beautiful church, was several years back, and uh, we did, my wife and I did, we were family ministries director for the Southwestern Union, and we did a family ministries weekend here in this, in this, in this church, which was very, very good. So we thank God for the privilege of being able to come back, and we're especially thankful to the Texas Conference Administration, who extended us an invitation to come and be able to worship with you uh, today, and uh, we're, we're excited about, about that. Uh, whenever God's people gather, and we are so glad that we can still gather in the midst of this pandemic. What do you say? Who would have ever thought we're in this third year of this thing? But God has kept us, and we are here, and we are grateful, and we're praying that God will soon lift this pandemic from us. There's trouble all around, all around the world, and as it was mentioned earlier, we want to continue to pray for um, our, our church members there in, U, in the Ukraine. We have probably about 43,000 members there in, U, in the Ukraine and another 31,000 there in Russia. There are a lot of churches in both of those, uh, in both of those countries and we want to lift, lift them in our prayers today. I want to invite you to stand with me now and turn in your Bibles, take your Bibles in hand <clears throat> and turn to the book of Genesis. Genesis, the 29th chapter. And we're going to be in, begin reading in the, from the 31st version, 31st verse, I should say, down to the end of the chapter. You following the version that you have, I'm going to be reading from the amplified version, Genesis 29, beginning with verse 31. Now when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he made her able to bear children, but Rachel was barren. Leah conceived and gave birth to a son and named him Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has seen my humiliation and suffering, now my husband will love me since I have given him a son. Then she conceived again and gave birth to a son and said, because the Lord heard that I am unloved, he has given me this son also. So she named him Simeon. She conceived again and, got, and gave birth to a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me as a companion, for I have given him three sons. Therefore he was named Levi. Again she conceived and gave birth to a fourth son, and she said, Now I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then for a time... She stopped bearing children. I want to speak to you today on, from the subject, Wanting Rachel, Getting Leah. Let's bow our heads as we pray. 
Once again, Father, we are grateful as we come into your into your presence for a new day of life, for another opportunity to worship you. But we have come, Lord, because our hearts are empty and we need to be filled by the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness of sins that's offered through the blood of Jesus. We've come confessing every sin today, Lord, because we want you to permeate every area of our being. Thank you for all those that have come into your house today. Open our hearts and open our minds now to hear and receive your word is our prayer in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Wanting Rachel, getting Leah. Have you ever wanted something so bad that it consumed your whole focus? And no amount of labor, no amount of effort was too great for the acquisition of your focus object. Even prayed about it. You give God a description of what you what you wanted, uh, this treasured this treasured desire. And even though you pray for God's will to be done, deep down, sometimes your wants superseded the will of God. When and if, and maybe if you receive and get what you wanted, then it turns out not to be all that you expected it to be. God sometimes gives us what we want, even if it's not what we need or is best for us at that time. He always answers prayer, but he gives us what we need. The thing that we want to look at today is that what our wants that supersede God's will. To be happy in life, you must learn the difference between what you want versus what you, what you need. Ellen White says in the book, A Story of Redemption, page 118, that many have their present wants supplied, yet they will not trust the Lord for the future. They manifest unbelief and seek, sink into despondency and gloom at the anticipated want. So the question comes, is it wrong to come to God and ask for our wants? Answer, not at all. We are encouraged, as Ellen White continues, by saying in the, step, in the book Steps to Christ, page 100, we are encouraged to keep our wants, our joys, our sorrows, our cares, and our fears before God. He cannot be burdened. Take to him everything that perplexes the mind. Nothing that in any way concerns our peace is too small for him to notice. Can somebody say amen? However, she continues in that same book on page 103 in Steps to Christ. However, we are further admonished not to always be thinking of our wants and never of the benefits that we, that we receive, which can prove to be the greater blessing than the thing that is desired. We must always remember, my brothers and sisters, that we serve a God whose utmost purpose is to construct and provide for his creation's full happiness. I want to point and go to a story, a, an old familiar story from the Old Testament uh, that, uh, that's often told, and, it, and it, it's an account that gives, that has great relevance and significance even for us today. It begins in Genesis, the 12th chapter. It's the story of Abram 
or Abraham as he's later called. Abram was the grandfather of, of Jacob. God instructed Abram, which was his name then in Genesis 12, he instructed him to leave his home and journey to a place that God would tell him, would show him. Genesis 12, 1 and 2, the Bible says, There I will make a great nation of you. God was telling Abram that the world is in bad shape. There is misery, there's cruelty, there's injustice, there's disease and tragedy, and there is death. But God was telling Abram that he was going to do something about it, and he was going to do it through Abram's family. One of your descendants, God said to him, will be the answer to the world's problems. One of your descendants will be the Messiah. But here was the problem. All the time, at the time that God gives Abram this, this promise, Abram's an old man. His wife is old. And, uh, and so is it. And, and so, but we must under, always understand that God never makes a promise that he cannot fulfill and that he will not and that, that he cannot and will not fulfill. Can somebody say amen today? God was saying to Abram or, that he would have a family. And from that family would come the prophet, a priest, the king of kings, and the lord of lords. You're going to have a son, Abram, God said to him. And your son will be named Isaac, who will not have one child, but he's going to have two sons, twin sons, and their names are going to be Esau and Jacob. And Esau, the eldest, is going to serve, will, will, or Jacob, the youngest, uh, will, or I should say, Esau, the eldest, will serve Jacob, who will be the youngest. And from the youngest child will come the promised Messiah. Now, there was dysfunction in this family because as Isaac grew, the Bible was clear that in their old age, Abram and Sarah had a son. They named him Isaac. He was their only son. They loved him. We know the story. And that one of the fascinating things about Scripture is this. If you want drama, if you want excitement, just read the Bible. Come on, say amen. Huh? And from, from the book of Genesis, there is, there is drama that's going on here. When, so when Isaac, after Sarah had died, Abraham, had, now his name had been changed said, my son, it's time for you to go and get married. So he called his servant and he said, I want you to find my son, Isaac, a wife. But don't take her from the people that are around here. Take her from one of our kindreds. And so the Bible tells us that Isaac found Rebekah. She's a beautiful woman. And, and, and when they married, God was true to his was true to his, his promise that Isaac and Rebekah had twin sons, Esau and Jacob. But here was the dysfunction of this family. Isaac ignores the counsel that God would, that, 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 the, that the Messiah would come through the youngest son. But Isaac put his whole heart and his focus on his oldest son, 
Esau. Whereas Rebekah put her whole attention on Jacob, the younger son. The characters of the, of the two sons is ravaged by this. Esau grows to be a wild, proud, and man with no self-control because of his, of his father's doting. Jacob becomes and develops into a, a good liar, if there's such a thing. Come on, say man. And a con man, a deceiver, and a manipulator. And notice the dynamics now that happens in this family. In Genesis 25, Jacob now cons his brother Esau out of his birthright. Because he took advantage of Esau's impulsiveness. In Genesis 27, there's a plot to take the blessing that was, that was to be given to Esau. Jacob followed his mother's lead and tricked the father Isaac into giving to Jacob what right, rightfully belonged to Esau. So now he had conned Esau out of his birthright. He had now taken the blessing that he was supposed to receive from his father. And when Esau discovered the plot and not getting what was rightfully his, not only did he threaten, he promised that he would kill his younger brother. Jacob had to flee for his life. He's messed up now. His lies and his deceptions have him now on the run. But whose fault is it? Is it God's fault? Is it Isaac, his father's fault? Is it Rebecca, his mother's fault? Because when you go wrong and you do something, you want to look for somebody to blame. But how can he fulfill the destiny as promised by God to his grandfather, Abraham? Here he is now on the run. He has no money. He has no place to go. He's not in his homeland anymore. He's down, but he's not out. Because God does not turn his back on us even in the midst of our folly. Can somebody say amen? God's will for our lives will unfold. So we, look, we sometimes look at snapshots of, of our lives. While God looks at the whole picture. Doesn't take single events that taking place in our lives. He's, got, he's looking at the whole picture, not what we are, but what we can become in Jesus Christ. In Genesis 28, verses 10 through 15, he's running and he's tired. He, he lies down to go to sleep. And the Bible tells us in Genesis 28 that he used a rock as a pillow. Now, you had to be real tired to use a rock as your pillow. Come on, say amen. Huh? He sees, he has a dream. And he sees this ladder that stretches from earth to glory. He sees angels ascending and descending on, the, on this ladder. He sees Jesus Christ at the top of the ladder. In fact, Jesus is the ladder because he is the one that connects earth to glory. Christ then gives Jacob the assurance of his ever abiding presence and protection. It is Jacob's motivation from that point on to be faithful to the Lord. So he's running and he now has, has arrived at his uncle Laban's home. Who recognizes that Jacob not only is his nephew, but he's also a very skilled worker. So Laban 
devised a way to, or plotted in his own mind, how can I keep this young man, who's my nephew, he's very talented, how can I keep him and at the same time make myself a lot of money? Now Laban had two daughters, Rachel and Leah. Rachel turns Jacob's head because the Bible says that immediately when he saw her, he fell in love with her. Because she was beautiful in form and face. Dangerous combination. Come on, say amen. Hmm? He's instantly mad in love with her. And Laban asked Jacob, what shall your wages be? What can I pay you? You're doing such a good job, but what, what, what can I pay you? And Jacob said, I'm willing to work for you for seven years for your daughter, Rachel, to be my wife. Here is where Jacob makes a critical mistake. Because when you're dealing with a con artist, you never let them know what your area of weakness is. As soon as Laban realized that Jacob would do anything to get Rachel, he's got him. Why is that? Because in Laban, Jacob has now met his match. Jacob is a liar, a demonstrated con artist, but so is his uncle Laban. And the thing about it is that Laban's been at it a lot longer than him, so he's more experienced. Laban sees an opportunity to solve two problems that he has. His first problem is how to make himself wealthy by way of Jacob's skill sets without paying him a lot of money. His second problem was Leah. Leah had, Laban has two daughters. One, the Bible says, is beautiful in form and face. The other, the Bible describes her as having tender eyes or delicate eyes or broken or fragile eyes. But look at the context of, of, the, of the verse in Genesis 29. When the text uses the word that Leah had tender and weak eyes, it does not say that Leah's vision was weak. The text does not say that Leah had weak vision and Rachel's vision was sharp and, and clear. The text is not talking about how they looked with their eyes. It's talking about how they looked. What did they look like? One girl... Leah was either cross-eyed or had protruding eyes, but either way, she was unattractive. Whereas the other daughter, Rachel, was gorgeous. One ugly duckling who would never be a swan, one, and then one absolutely beautiful in form and face. And these two girls grew up together, and Laban had a problem. His problem for Laban was how to get Leah married off and her not be a weight around his neck for the rest of his, of his life. That's the kind of man that Laban was. Laban's small print in his agreement in Genesis 29 and verse 19 was overlooked by Jacob. Remember, Jacob had said, I will work seven years for Rachel. But Laban never said yes to Jacob's terms. When you look at Genesis 28 and 29 verses 18 and 19, he never said yes. There was an agreed seven-year contract, and here is where Jacob gets tricked. 
after seven years of laboring for Rachel, he goes into the tent on the, on the wedding night, wakes up in the morning, thinking that he's waking up as the sun shines through that tent, that he's waking up to his beloved Rachel, and he turns over and sees her ugly sister Leah. He runs to Laban. You lied to me. You tricked me. And Laban said, no, no. Number one, I never said yes to your terms. Secondly, uh, here in this country, the youngest daughter cannot marry before the oldest daughter. So if you would take and work another seven years, you can get both of them. But fulfill Leah's week. Now, he ended up working literally 20 years with wages for his wages and his wages being changed 10 times by Laban. The con artist got tricked by another experienced con artist. But at the same time, Leah, the oldest unattractive daughter, is thrown into hell. She could have hardened her heart and resolved the fact that as a single woman, she was unwanted, and the times in which she lived, she was unmarketable. She was being handled by cruelly by two men, her father and by a man who is she is now married to, but who doesn't love her, but loves her sister, who is also his wife. Her advantage, though, Leah could have children. Rachel could not. And the, but the last verse of the passage that we read in Genesis 29 and verse 35 is most plaintive in Leah's experience because every time she bears a child, she believed that now her husband would love her. Now maybe she thought she could have some meaning to her life. Her firstborn son, Reuben, which means I'm seen. Her second-born son, Simeon, means I'm heard. Her third-born son, Levi, means I'm attached. So in Leah's mind, she's, she's thinking, finally, I'll be visible to my husband. He'll hear me as his wife, and he will be attached to me finally. He will cleave to me. Surely, he will love me now. And it never happened. Genesis 29 and verse 35 says her fourth son was named Judah, which means praise. Wanting Rachel, but getting Leah. So what do we learn from, what can we learn from this Old Testament account? It is drama at its best. I want to suggest to you some things and lessons that we can learn from this, from this Old Testament account. I'm going to give you the bad news first, and then we're going to move to some good news. First, bad news is, you do sin, and sin does you. Sin is more than, than an action. It's more than an event, more than just a single occurrence. When we sin, when we go contrary to the will of God, we don't just do it. And pass it on to the next thing. We create and release a devastating power that careens around our, our lives indefinitely. 
Look at the dynamics that took place in this story. Look at what Isaac does to his son Jacob. He favors Esau over his over 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 his youngest son Jacob. I mean over his other son Jacob. Jacob does the same thing to Leah by favoring Rachel over her just as Isaac his father did to him. Jacob goes back to Isaac and does back to Isaac what Isaac did to him through lies and deception. Remember during this plot to get uh, the blessing, he pretended that he was his brother Esau. And his father Isaac, whose vision was not good, was tricked all because his wife Rebecca or Jacob's mother Rebecca favored Jacob, wanted the blessing for her son, and went into a, a, a conspiracy to fool Isaac. And now, eventually, as you trace the story, the fact that Jacob does this to Leah means that Leah's children come to hate Rachel's children when she begins to have them. And because Leah's children hate Rachel's children because of the way Jacob sinned and deceived, they eventually sell Joseph, Rachel's child, into slavery because of the preferential treatment of Joseph by his father, Jacob. They, in turn, lie and deceive their father and say that Joseph is dead and get Jacob, and now Jacob goes through hell. You see the evolution of sin? It's a mess. Somebody say amen. Hmm? But hell begets hell, and lies beget lies. So, and sin begets sin. We commit sin, but really we don't do it. It does us. Sin does a job, has done a job on all of us. Can I get a witness today? That's bad news number one. Bad news number two is, in the morning, it's always Leah. See, life is marked by disappointments. In this story, your heart kind of goes out to Leah, doesn't it? Don't you feel sorry for her? Huh? But for a moment, Leah represents something bad. One of the fascinating things in this narrative is the way it turns on you. Jacob wanting and thinking he's getting Rachel, but he gets Leah instead. There's an author by the name of Derek Kittner who comments, he says, but in the morning, behold, it was Leah. This is a miniature of our disillusionment experience from Eden onward. In other words, no matter what your hopes are, whether it relates to a project, whether it relates to a marriage, whether it relates to your career or any love relationship, in the morning, there will always be a Leah. Because Leah, in this scenario, is synonymous to disappointment. C.S. Lewis, commenting on hopes and disappointments, makes this statement. There is always something that we have grasped for. There's always something in that first moment of longing, but fades away in the reality. Your spouse may be a good spouse, but something may go wrong with that spouse and not meet up to your expectations. The scenery has been excellent. It turns out maybe to be a good job at the beginning, but something may have gone wrong in that job and it wasn't as, it's not as good as you had expected it to be. But it, and, it, and the joy of it evaded you. In the morning, 
it's always Leah. You rest your hopes on something, and that which you hope for, that which you have invested, invested in, doesn't come through. Now, there are four ways to go or to respond when something like that happens. You can blame the thing and you, uh, that you have and say, I'll, I've got to get something better. You would have to be labeled as a fool to think that way. You'll blame yourself or just hate yourself. And we have to, you would be labeled as a self-hater. Or maybe you'll blame life and you'll harden yourself so that you will never hope for anything at all. And that will make you a hard cynic. Or you can blame the theory of reality and you can say, if there's nothing in this world that is ever Rachel, then my Rachel must be beyond this world that will ever satisfy me. Then it means that I am made for something beyond this world. My focus is heavenward. That attitude marks you as a Christian. Somebody say amen. Bad news number three. We make our lives worse through idolizing family. Now that sounds strange. But we... We have here a form of idolatry where you can put your hope in something or somebody to give you a sense of being loved, of being valuable, or of giving meaning to your life. And thus that individual, even in your, fam- your family, can become, can become an idol. Jacob thought that if he had Rachel, it would have, that he would then have total happiness. Leah thought that if she could have children, her husband would love her and she would then be somebody. We have a text coming against traditional values here. We have a text that's saying that if you build your life on a spouse, then at very best you'll become emotionally dependent or controlling or judgmental. And if anything goes wrong with that spouse, if that spouse has any problems, you will go to pieces and you will be of no help to that spouse or anybody else. If you build your life on your children, then at the very best, you'll try to live out your life through your children till they will either hate you or they won't have any identity of their own. And at worst, you'll end up abusing them because they have to be good. They got to get things right. They have got to love you or you don't have a life. Again and again, we see Leah saying, Ah, God has given me a son. Now my husband will see me. Now my husband will hear me and become attached to me. She just fit right into her traditional values, especially at that time, because during that time, a woman was nobody if she didn't have children. You're a woman, so you must have children, was the trend of society. She does have children, and it still doesn't work. If she had a nicer husband, she might have been able to live in, the, in, the, in that delusional bubble for a longer period of time, but, un, but fortunately for her, she didn't. And she came to see that idols always make the disappointments of this world far, far worse. That's... The bad news. Now let's get some good news. Good news number one. God works with 
weak people. He does what, everybody? Say it with me. God does what? See, God continues to work with people even though they resist his grace when lives are lived without God inclusion. See, Jacob, like his grandfather Abraham, was a bigamist. An activity that was condemned by God. In scripture, we see all. I I love the Bible because in scripture, we see all the stupidity of mankind. The Bible doesn't give these stories to expose men and women to be our role models. No, no. The Bible gives us examples of how God continues to work with people, even though they resist his grace when lives are lived without God inclusion. When Jacob saw the ladder extended from earth to heaven with angels ascending and descending on that level and God on that ladder and God being at the top. He saw that all of heaven participates in man's salvation. We've got God the Father, we've got God the Son, we've got God the Holy Spirit, and we've got holy angels that are ministering to us. So it makes us, our connection to heaven is solid if we take advantage of it. Cannot somebody say amen out there? And it also says to us, with all of that heavenly help, it becomes nonsensical for anybody to be lost. So God works with weak people. The good news number two is that God works through weak people. Laban hurt Leah, didn't he? Laban hurt Jacob. But when we understand how God used Laban in all of their lives, you'll see that it was only because of Laban and all of his trickery and his meanness that Jacob began to get humble because Jacob saw in Laban his own self and what he saw he did not like. He finally began to come around to gain some perspective. Ladies and gentlemen, God works in your life through weak people because right now there's a Laban in your life. God works through weak people to help you and me to see ourselves and to seek the Lord For the strengthening and the development of our characters for his glory. But then the third good news is that God works in the weakest. God is attracted to the weakest. He doesn't just work with and work through, but he works in the weakness, in the weakest and the most broken down. Leah, she's floundering like a mad woman. Doing anything she can to deal with the hell that she's in. Anything feeling like, how, did I, how do I get out of this? She must have been saying. I always knew I was nothing in my family's eyes. And even in my own eyes, I always knew I was homely. And now every day, this thing is being pushed in my face. How can I get out of it? And she said, oh, a child, my husband will love me now and save me and give my life value if I can give him a child. Leah was acting like this and at the same time forgetting the name she had been calling on but not depending on, which is the Lord. Leah is turning to her husband until the very end. And at the very, very end, something changes. 
something radically changes. Every time that she said, now my husband will love me when the firstborn came. Now my husband will love me when the second son came. Now my husband will love me when the third son was born. And then the scriptures tell us that she conceived again. And when she gave birth to her fourth son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. Finally, there's no talk about her husband. What had happened through her this suffering? She stopped turning to her husband. She stopped looking to her children. She stopped looking to anything or anybody else to give her value. And she said, I'm going to praise the Lord. Somebody say amen. And at that moment, Leah got her life back. At that moment, Laban and Jacob and all the people who had used her and abused her as long as, as, as she could remember, she had stayed in that idolatry and that idolatry now fell away. And at that point, she stood up and she got her life back. But more than this, who was this child that she had? His name was Judah. When she stopped looking to her husband for worth and value, those things that only God can give, she turns to the Lord. And in Genesis 29 and 35, she says, now I will praise the Lord. The child's name is Judah. The lineage that Christ Jesus would come through. The promise that God had made to Abram in Genesis 12 is going to come through the fourth child, Judah, born by Leah, the most unattractive of Laban's daughter. Leah, the outsider. Leah, the ugly. Leah, the rejected. God would send his son through Leah. And the Old Testament shows us what the New Testament really tells us. God sent his son to love those who others don't love. Satan tells us and even points his finger at God and says that we are not deserving of God's love. That our sins have made us ugly and unlovable. But Jesus Christ is not just the king and we're the servants. He's not just the good shepherd and we're the sheep. He's the bridegroom and we're the bride. And it is for all of us that he came. He lived and he died in order that we could experience eternity with him. And so we, though we may look like Leah, to Jesus Christ, we look like Rachel. Somebody say amen. That's the gospel. He sees something in all of us that is beautiful. Leah gave Jacob, ended up giving Jacob six sons. Leah became the most loved. And when she died, she was buried beside her husband at Machpelah. A grave site of prestige. Jesus restores and he revives our worth. If you believe that, say amen today. Amen. We are somebody in Jesus Christ. Turn your eyes, the, the hymn says, upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. When the devil tries to beat us down and tells us that we are worthless and of no value, 
Jesus is saying Satan is a liar. He's the father of it. With me in your life, you are somebody. Come on, somebody say amen. You are so valuable to me that I was willing to give my life for you. They hung me on a cross. And I heard the shouts from Satan's cohort saying, if you be the Messiah, save yourself and save us, the other thieves said. And he could have come down, but I'm glad that he stayed there. He stayed there to show us that we are all valuable to him. He stayed there as he promised that he would. To give us a chance for eternal life. So if you have ever had your sights focused on something that you desperately wanted and been disappointed. I guarantee you beloved if you put your eyes and focus your eyes on Jesus. You will never be disappointed. Somebody say amen. But we must ask our questions. Ourselves the question. Have your wants superseded God's will for your life? And it's caused you not to see or realize the blessings that you already have. Maybe you found yourself looking to the world and to others for 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 value, credibility and or completeness. But now, like Leah, you will praise the Lord and look to him for satisfaction in your life. When we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, we will never be disappointed. I close with this with this text of scripture in Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ to a new life, sharing in his resurrection from the dead, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind. And as one translation says, set your affections And keep focus habitually on the things above, the heavenly things, not on things that are on the earth, which have only temporal value. The present events and conditions in this world are designed by Satan to take our focus and attention off of God. And the Lord is saying to each and every one of us, in spite of all the things that we see happening in this world today, all the events, do not be dismayed. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Because soon and very soon, he who promised that he would come again will come and will not tarry. Sometimes you want to shout and say, Lord, I want you to come now and end all of this. In his own time, take advantage of the time and allow God to mold and shape your characters into his image. By the power of the Holy Spirit. With God, we can accomplish anything, but the greatest thing that we can accomplish and pray for is that we'll be ready to meet Jesus in peace when he comes. What do you say? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We need to draw nearer to God now, my brothers and sisters, than ever before. Things in this world are not going to get any better. This is a time for us to draw nearer to the Lord. What do you say?
as the words of the song, which is our prayer, resonate in your minds. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Think for a moment. This world is full of disappointments. And there have been, all of us have had the experience where we really desperately wanted something bad where it actually consumed our whole being wanting our Rachel being disappointed in getting Leah and just like Leah in the story it's easy to forget sometimes because of the things that happen the circumstances that happen in this life and all the things that life presents us with to take our minds and our eyes off of Jesus We can have a quick case of amnesia, forgetting the many blessings that God has bestowed upon us each and every day. And then Satan throws us a curveball, and it just, life throws us a curveball, and, and, we, and we get rattled. And for that moment, we take our eyes off of the Lord, and we, we find ourselves in a disappointed state, almost a depressed state, because of what we are going through. The Lord has provided us refuge in Jesus because even though many times we might turn our backs on him, he never turns his back on us. And we thank him for that. Just like Leah in the story, where we placed our minds and our hearts on something else, we finally must get to the point and and say just like Leah, now I will praise the Lord. And we begin to remember that God has never forsaken us. He can smooth out any disappointments that we have had in this life. And help us to refocus our attention and our our purpose in doing what pleases him. He'll give us the power through his Holy Spirit. This time, we're going to praise the Lord. And there may be someone here that maybe has had some disappointment and you just say, Lord, I'm sorry, I forgot. Momentarily, I forgot that you supersede anything, any disappointments of this life. That you have promised eternal life to all of us. And I, like Leah, I'm going to say to now, I'm going to praise the Lord. If there's someone here today that just wants to say, Lord, give me, refocus my attention on you. If that's you, just raise your hand. Say, Lord, I just, I just need to, for you to refocus, help me to refocus my attention on you totally. Didn't Jesus say, he said, in this world, you're going to have some tribulation, going to have some trials. He said, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And so we put our faith and our trust in you, dear Lord. Lord, we come to you today thanking you so much for opportunity to worship and to fellowship, to gain encouragement from your word. And I pray, Lord, that this word has blessed hearts this morning. We've moved into the afternoon, Lord. I pray that you would help us to keep our focus on you. We recognize, Lord, that in our weakness, we, we are easily distracted. 
And so we seek the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, to redirect us, to refocus us, so that we'll never take our eyes off of you. But when we take our eyes off of you, that's when we fail, Lord. So keep us focused today. Bless this, the members of the Mount Pleasant Church. Bless every family that's here. Young and old, touch hearts. Cause rejoicing as we leave here today. Knowing that we leave, but we don't leave your presence. We take you with us and we pray that you would use us to be a blessing to someone else. Thank you so much for your presence in this service today is our prayer in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you. You may be seated.